it's about the discoveries that are totally unexpected. It's kind of a science fiction romantic. I always love reading about stories of sending spacecraft all over the solar system, out and back and out and back. This will be the first spacecraft that actually does that in real life, which is exciting. We will eventually take the crown from Juno for being the furthest solar-powered mission that's ever been flown. Welcome back to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. NASA's Lucy mission, the first spacecraft to visit Jupiter's Trojan asteroids, is scheduled to launch this month with the first opportunity coming the morning of October 16th. We're in conversation with Mike Sikarek, the Deputy Project Systems Engineer for the Lucy mission. Mike, thanks for joining us. Oh, Dee, a pleasure to be here. Let's start out talking Lucy science and then dig into the engineering achievements for the mission. Could you begin with a general overview of the mission? Yeah, Lucy's going to be on this extraordinarily exciting journey throughout the solar system over the next approximately 12 years uh, after we launch here in October. Over that time, we're going to be visiting eight different asteroids uh, with just our single spacecraft. We launch really shortly, and uh, we do one Earth gravity assist about a year later, and about two years after that, another Earth gravity assist. And then in 2025 uh, is when we encounter the Donald Johansson main belt asteroid. And then from 2027 through 28, we then explore four of the L4 Trojan swarm asteroids that are resonant with Jupiter. And then 2033, we come back after another Earth gravity assist, we visit the uh, binary asteroid in the L5 swarm. So we'll be crisscrossing the solar system over approximately 12-year mission, going inner solar system and outer solar system to get this unprecedented science. What are the science objectives of Lucy? Well, the Trojan asteroids are the remnants of the giant planet formation. And what we want to understand with Lucy is we want to help understand how the solar system formed. And the best way to help understand those those solar system formation processes, both for our solar system as well as exoplanets, is to look at those leftover building blocks. The way I like to describe it to people is... When you're looking at a house, a beautiful structure, a house with the amazing architecture, you don't necessarily know what went into building that house. What really helps you understand how the house was actually built is during the construction phase, looking at those leftover scraps, the pieces of wood or brick or glass that are outside in the big dumpster that eventually gets hauled off before you know the house is completed. And that's what we want to understand for how the solar system formed. We want to find those little bits of leftover original building blocks and explore those so we understand how the solar system formed. There's these things called Lagrange points, which are gravitational resonances between two large bodies. And the Sun and Jupiter are pretty large bodies. And so there's a, a L4 Lagrange point and L5 Lagrange point. That's a little bit ahead of Jupiter's orbit and a little bit behind. And in those deep gravity wells, some of those original building blocks for the solar system have been trapped for 4 billion years. Essentially, those pieces of wood, brick, and glass when when the solar system was first built are essentially stuck there. Now, we don't know what they're made out of. That's just my analogy. But we're going to go look at those building blocks to help us understand solar system formation. Scientists have different models for how it formed, and we need to look at those leftover remnants to confirm those models. Could you tell us about the science instruments for the Lucy mission? 
Absolutely. So we have four instruments uh, on board the Lucy spacecraft. They're all on the instrument pointing platform. And this is an articulated platform on a two axis gimbal that's attached to the top of the spacecraft. And this is the one that helps point towards the asteroids and uh, take all this, this science that would really help our understanding of the solar system formation. Those instruments are, first one is the LaRalph instrument, uh, and that will take both color images as well as near-infrared images that will really give us understanding of the composition of the asteroids. Again, we really want to know what they're made of to help understand the solar system formation. Another one of the instruments is the LaLaurie instrument, and that one's an acronym for the Lucy Long Range Reconnaissance Imager. That one's been provided by uh, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, and that one has two purposes. It will provide very high-resolution images of the asteroid surfaces, but also on approach to the asteroids, it'll do what's called optical navigation, whereas the asteroids are still small blips in our imager, it'll help us fine-tune that trajectory so we fly by at just the right distance. Another instrument is LATES, which is a thermal emission spectrometer that's been provided by Arizona State. Uh, and that'll measure the temperature of the asteroid, both on the day and night side. And, and that will allow us to understand the thermal inertia or how the asteroid cooled, which again, help a lot with understanding what it's made out of. And we also have the terminal tracking cameras. And those are panchromatic, they're black and white pictures of the asteroids. Um, and that, those cameras also have a dual purpose as well. The science side of it, they'll be taking images of the asteroids that'll help provide shape models. So we'll know the shape of the asteroids, uh, but also um, they will be doing the terminal tracking, which is their primary function. The real challenge is we have to make sure that we know where the asteroid is we're flying by to keep those instruments pointed at. So we've had to develop a very complex algorithm that we've had to test extensively on uh, the spacecraft itself has the smarts to be able to identify what the asteroid is and point the instruments um, at it to get these images and the terminal tracking cameras are key to that. And then the last science thing that we'll be doing is um, making mass measurements with our an antenna that measures how the spacecraft's trajectory has been perturbed by the asteroids. These are small asteroids, uh, 20 kilometers, uh, the smallest approximately to over 100 kilometers for the largest ones. And they're only going to perturb our trajectory just a little, little bit. Um, but that small perturbation will allow us to calculate what the masses of the asteroid. And using the, the Doppler shift from our X-band telecommunication system, we'll be able to back calculate what those masses. So you can see that we're going to be getting a lot of science uh, during each of these flybys uh, with this instrument suite. What's unique about Lucy? Uh, there are so many unique aspects of Lucy, but first and foremost is that we'll be the first ones to go with the Trojan asteroids. Scientists have been wanting to visit them for a long time, and we'll be the first mission to go there. We have a very unique opportunity to help constrain how that planet formation process worked and to understand those evolution models of systems. And because we're sampling, we're going to fly by eight different total asteroids seven of those Trojan asteroids and one main belt asteroid, we will actually sample uh, that diversity. And we'll be going all the way out to the outer solar system, then all the way back in and all the way out again, you know, literally crisscrossing the solar system. You know, from an engineering standpoint, the design challenges that went into doing that is something that I've, I've been captivated by ever since I joined Lucy. It's kind of a science fiction romantic. I always love reading about stories of sending spacecraft all over the solar system, out and back and out and back. And this will be the first spacecraft that actually does that in real life, which is exciting. Let's talk more about that engineering perspective. What does it take to visit so many targets across the solar system? 
Well, the starting point for that is the flight dynamics planning that we've had to do on Lucy. We have an an amazing team led by NASA Goddard with strong partners in Kinetics and Lockheed Martin uh, that have been working on this trajectory design ever since we were selected in early 2017 and for even years before that. And they'll continue refining the trajectory even going forward. They have run thousands and thousands and thousands of Monte Carlo simulations for a trajectory, looking at every possible little perturbation from different masses of the asteroid, solar radiation pressure, all these different little things to be able to essentially thread the needle to fly by all these different targets. We have three Earth gravity assists. We have five deep space maneuvers. We have over 30 trajectory correction maneuvers, which is kind of the small tweaking of our um, of our trajectory and ensure we do the flybys properly. So that takes a lot of planning, a lot of computation time and computers to make sure we get that right. We talked about what makes Lucy unique. What are some of the other firsts with this mission? Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of really exciting firsts with the mission. Uh, but of course, you got to hit the most important one is that we'll be the first mission of the Trojan Asteroids, as I said already, which is uh, the whole main point for why we were selected. But looking at some of the other really unique things that we'll be doing, we'll be visiting the most objects uh, of any mission with our seven Trojans, one main belt asteroid. We'll be the first spacecraft to actually fly out to Jupiter distance uh, and then return to the, vicinity, to the vicinity of Earth. And we'll do an Earth gravity system when we come back, but still, first spacecraft to go to the outer solar system and then come back in, which is a, a very big distance. Um, and also, one of the things that I'm, uh, I'm most excited about is that we will eventually take the crown from Juno for being the furthest solar-powered mission that's ever been flown, when we'll be going all the way out to 5.7 AU uh, on solar power. So that's actually past Jupiter's distance, where the sun's only about 3% as bright as it is uh, in Earth orbit. And we're not just going out there and sitting idle. That's where we've been doing some of our primary sciences out that far, which is why we've had to put such large solar arrays on the on the Lucy spacecraft. Sounds like a very complex and vigorous mission. Oh, definitely. Could you tell us more about some of those complexities and what it is that makes this a challenging mission? Yeah, it, it has definitely posed some uh, some very fun uh, technical challenges that the that the team has had to work through. First, let's go back to those solar arrays that I was initially talking about. Um, we're flying these ultraflex solar arrays um, that are developed by Northrop Grumman. Now, they've used them on their Cygnus resupply vehicle in low Earth orbit to the space station, and they've used them on small versions on InSight and Phoenix that have landed on Mars. But we find almost twice as big as anything that they've ever flown before, and we'll be taking it out into deep space, and we'll be bringing it also back in close to Earth as well during our Earth gravity assist. And so... There's been a lot of challenges in, in really taking that really key technology and, and making it ready for high power deep space applications. Uh, that's going to open up tremendous opportunities for missions in the future, like a high power solar propulsion mission, for example, using these arrays uh, on future missions. So that, that's been a big challenge. You know, as I said with our trajectory, you know, we go all the way out to 5.7 AU, but then we come back in to 0.83 AU as we're, again, doing this crisscrossing of the solar system type of trajectory. When you're at 0.83 AU, that's uh, well inside Earth's orbit. Things are pretty hot. So we have some pretty big thermal extremes going that close and that far from the sun. That That's created some unique testing challenges and thermal requirements on our spacecraft that we've had to test through a lot of modeling, 
small scale testing, you know, as well as our system level thermal vac testing. So that's been one big and very fun challenge uh, to work through that will help out many future missions. You know, another really unique and exciting part of it is during those encounters with the asteroids, uh, as we're doing our flybys, we have very, very intensive spacecraft operations as we're doing those flybys of the asteroids, which we only get one shot at. You know, if something doesn't go right, you can't just say, oh, I missed that, go back. Uh, You have to continue flying on through which means you need to have fault protection that can deal with any faults and still continues taking the primary science. We fly by these asteroids anywhere from 5.8 to almost 9 kilometers per second. That's somewhere between 13,000 to 20,000 miles per hour. And with the round-trip light time, everything has to be done autonomously. We can't have a human in the loop because they're too far away. So during these critical times when we're flying by the asteroids, the spacecraft has to be rotating And the instrument pointing platform, which contains our primary instruments, has to be pointing at the asteroids as the spacecraft is moving, acquiring all this data through a pre-described sequence um, and recording it continuously. It's, it's, It's a very intense operation and execution, which means the whole planning and ground testing portion of it has been a very fun challenge for the entire team to come together and solve. How do we replicate these encounters in the ground? How do we test the system on the ground to make sure that we can do this? We can't put a big asteroid in front of the spacecraft and simulate it. Heck, our solar arrays are so big, we can't even deploy both of them at the same time on the ground. Um, And the instrument pointing platform where the instruments are mounted uh, can't be moving through the full range of motion on the spacecraft due to gravity. So we've had to come up with a very, very complex testing plan to make sure that we've simulated these flybys and that we know that we'll get this critical science. That is so fascinating. What have you and the team learned as you've prepared for Lucy with all of these challenges that you're facing and these things that are so different than what's been done before? So there's been so many really exciting and fun things that we've learned along the way uh, about planning a science exploration mission like this. You know, we're going to visit bodies that have never been visited before, which means we don't know what they look like. There's some Hubble Space Telescope observations, there's ground observations, there's occultations where they pass in front of stars. So we we have a general idea for the size and grossly what the shapes are. But the fine, fine details of of the asteroids, we we don't know anything about them, which is why we're doing the mission. So playing the system to take images and measurements of something that we don't know what they look like a priori has been quite the challenge. And that's pretty common for an asteroid mission, but a lot of the previous asteroid missions, they go and they rendezvous with the target, they orbit the target, they get a chance to to characterize and map the target, like OSIRIS-REx at Bennu. But we're flying by with one chance each. And so that has been a challenge for how do you possibly constrain what you need to test? So uh, looking at different asteroids emissions and learning how to best come up with constraints um, has been one thing that we've really worked through. But in general, it's, it's important that you, you look at all your testing and your development and look at what's, what's unique for your mission, what's right for your mission, what's right for Lucy. Uh, just because other projects may have done things a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for Lucy. Using those heritage approaches is definitely sound as a starting point, but you need to make sure you stop and ask yourself, what's unique about your mission? And so that's been something that we've had to make sure that we do on Lucy. Another example of that, is yes, we are a deep space mission that launches directly onto a a heliocentric trajectory. And with that mentality, you typically don't think about a lot of the other requirements that you would levy on a low earth orbit spacecraft, like electrostatic discharge and aerotorquing, uh, aerotorques and aerothermal heating. 
But because we come back and do these Earth gravity assists, we have had to design that in, which is a bit unusual for a deep space mission. So thinking about the uniqueness of your mission is something that we've had to make sure we've embraced. And that's good insight to share. And I'm wondering, do you have other experiences with the Lucy mission that might be helpful to NASA systems engineers, uh, folks across the agency? Yes. So some things that would definitely help out, uh, you know, for from a team and in leadership standpoint is capitalizing on the resources that you have available. You know, thankfully for Lucy, we've pulled together a very experienced team with Lockheed Martin, Kinetics, Southwest Research Institute, John Hopkins Applied Physics Lab in Arizona State, and really capitalizing on the unique talents and experiences that each of those teams bring to the table. And when you have a lot of different institutions working together, they can have different institutional cultures. And it's really important that you make sure you embrace each of the institution's cultures, their processes, and you know, realize what that's what's helped make them successful in their previous areas before. And don't necessarily force uh, yours on onto the other team members. So, you know, really capitalizing on the the diversity experiences of your team uh, to help with unique aspects of the missions is something I would definitely definitely embrace on future missions as well. What about from a technical standpoint? Are there some lessons learned or some experiences that you and the team have had that you think might be helpful for others to know more about? Uh, yes. Yeah, so definitely from a, a testing standpoint is making sure that when you do have some of those unique requirements that you you uh, lay them out uh, beforehand uh, and you really tackle those right up front. For example, with this large solar range and large thermal extremes, making sure we get those those requirements laid out and do some of the upfront testing like we had to do with some qualification samples uh, because we knew we were taking them to an environment that they'd never been in before. We did some of that upfront testing and we definitely learned some things uh, with that upfront testing and we had to modify the design. So uh, making sure that for a lot of those very unique aspects of your missions uh, that you get the hardware tested uh, upfront so you can learn those lessons as quickly as possible. Because when you identify problems early, you have more options and less painful options to come to a resolution. So as you're working with this team, how important is leadership to make this mission successful? Uh, I think that the leadership of the team has been absolutely critical from the science leadership, from Hal Levison, the PI and others, from the project management leadership of Daniel Stelix Bradshaw, and the engineering leadership that's been both on the NASA Goddard and the Lockheed and our other partners side. Because we are a, a distributed, diverse team, even before the pandemic, you know, and then, of course, with the pandemic having to work remotely, you know, making sure that you are checking in with your people to see how they're doing, uh, both, you know, professionally as well as personally, and ensuring that you're all driving to a common goal and you don't diverge, you know, has required, you know, a lot of, a lot of strong leadership, um, especially as we've had to, you know, to work remotely in this current environment. So. We have teams spread across the country even before and during the pandemic and making sure that we all come together both literally and figuratively uh, to achieve this common goal has, has presented challenges across the board, but we have definitely met those challenges and overcome them. And you have a history of meeting challenges and overcoming them largely because of your background. Could you share a little bit about your background? 
Yeah, I probably have a little more unusual of a background for the, the typical engineer. Uh, I was an armored cavalry officer in the Army, where I did a 15-month combat tour in Iraq, leading uh, tanks, uh, tank platoon leaders, scout platoon leader, and other uh, cavalry units uh, in urban combat operations in southwest Baghdad. And with that experience, there's definitely a perspective that you get on what motivates people, um, how to make sure you get a team coalesced together on a, a common goal and mission, uh, how to get buy-in from your really experienced team members to put together into a plan that everybody's a stakeholder in um, and then make a decision and then move out smartly. But people are people no matter what venue you're in, whether you're a soldier, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're in business. Leading people is still about the people, what motivates them, taking care of them, giving them goals, helping make them successful. And definitely as a young armor officer during that time, definitely helped develop those skills in a unique environment. With the Lucy launch coming up so soon, what are your, your thoughts? What are you feeling at this point? Oh, I have to say it is really uh, excitement is really what I'm feeling right now. It's the culmination of years of hard work. We were selected in January of 2017. And as soon as we were selected, I went to my management and said, I want to get on this mission. And so I've been on it since shortly after selection. So I've been on it for almost four and a half years now, uh, working with this extraordinarily talented uh, group of, of people. And so I have a lot of excitement in the culmination of the years of my hard work, but there's years of work that went to it before selection as well. And we can't forget about the years that all these projects take in formulation. But the launch itself isn't really a culmination. It's really just the beginning, and, you know, the beginning of this exciting journey. I mean, we will be handing it off to an operations team that will be flying the spacecraft for 12 or possibly more years. Um, it's, it is the excitement to watch the images that will be streaming back of these asteroids and seeing them you know, on the different news sites, watching the public get excited about it. You know, that's what I'm, I'm really anticipating is... Uh, a lot of excitement. But one thing I just keep thinking that, you know, Lucy is a robotic mission, but it really is a, a human endeavor. And, and all of this has been made possible by such a large team with a, a wide range of expertise from all over the country and, and even all over the world. And seeing their hard work pay off is very satisfying. What are your expectations? Uh, perhaps even your, your hopes and your dreams for the Lucy mission? Well, of course, it's for a successful launch here shortly, uh, which, of course, everybody wants. Uh, but see the rocket lift off and the spacecraft separate and deploy those solar rays and just know that the spacecraft is functioning well and, and on her way for the journey. And, of course, successful encounters. We've been planning this for years, and they've got you know years more of, of planning and preparation for these asteroid encounters. But just cannot wait to see those images streaming back. But in terms of like the hopes and the dreams, it's about the discoveries that are totally unexpected. You think back to New Horizons and Pluto, where they sent back images of Pluto that were totally unprecedented, not what the scientists were expecting. And I'm hoping that and excited for those unexpected discoveries from the Trojan asteroids, for them to come back and say and have to hear the scientists say, well, I wasn't expecting that. Um, those are something that I think we learn so much more uh, about. And of course, I'm definitely still holding out hope that our mission doesn't end in 2033 with the patroclus Menesius binary encounter in the L5 swarm. The spacecraft should be operating fine. There should still be plenty of propellant on board. And we don't have any targets picked out after that because they weren't our primary mission. But, you know, based on the science team's analysis, our spacecraft should be orbiting the sun for a couple million years uh, until potentially it you know, would run into another asteroid at some 
probability way, way out in the future. So there's nothing from physics or engineering that says the mission has to end in 2033. So I'm hoping we can find some more targets and, and keep it going past that. Well, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk with you and learning more about the Lucy mission today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Dina. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share you know, this exciting mission with all your listeners out there and hope they continue following us you know, after we launch. Links to related resources to help you follow the Lucy mission are available on our website at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast, along with Mike's bio and a show transcript. We're interested to hear your suggestions for future topics on Small Steps Giant Leaps. If there's a guest or topic you'd like for us to feature, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple. That's A-P-P-E-L or contact us via the NASA Apple Knowledge Services website. As always, thanks for listening.